how did I just say that? And um, hopefully by now you are recognizing those moments when you say, did I just say that? And you're not going, yeah, I said it and I meant it. Right? That you're, that you're no longer maybe necessarily justifying some of your behavior. All right? Now, maybe I'm not talking to you, but I'm probably talking at least to the person next to you. Right? That we're no longer justifying that, that we are recognizing some things about ourselves. And that, first of all, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, when my wife delivered an amazing message. Yeah. You discovered that you are powerful. Pastor Rich, I don't feel very powerful. You are powerful. And the reason why you are powerful is because your words are powerful. Everything that you say has incredible potential and power inside of it. In fact, you know words are powerful. You know this because check this out. Look at this today. Words spoken over you, about you, and to you are the words that have shaped you. Look at, look at that again. Words spoken over you, about you, and to you are the words that have shaped you. And listen, today, I'm not necessarily just talking about what other people have said. I'm talking even about what you have said. That the words that you have spoken over you and about you and to you are the words that have shaped you. And here's how I know this, because I have seen people who had absolutely no confidence begin to understand some of the promises and, the, and the, the principles of the word of God and begin to say over their life things with meaning, even though they didn't know it yet, didn't get it yet, didn't understand it yet. And suddenly they became incredibly confident. They began to understand, they began to move away from the old mindset that we all grew up with that we're just sinners saved by grace. Praise God, we're just barely trying to hang in till Jesus comes. They moved away from that mindset to this. Listen, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the Most High God. And suddenly now they're walking around and they're not cocky, but man, they're confident. They got their shoulders back. They're going, come on, devil. I'm tired of you jacking with my family. I'm tired of you jacking with me. No more. I've watched it happen. Listen. But I've also watched this happen. People that had incredible confidence have words spoken over them by someone else that they began to say. They began to repeat. They began to listen to the accusation of the enemy, those whispering things. How many of you recognize the enemy is nonstop whispering in your ears wrong things? Listen, I know some of you start going, man, I don't even know if I'm a child of God because that, that's happening to me. Listen, that's the proof that you are a child of God because of the fact that you are a child of God. He's trying to move you from a position. And when you start saying wrong things over your life, words that you spoke over you, about you, and to you are words that begin to shape you. And listen, I don't know where you're at today on that continuum. If you're in a Captain America moment or you're in America where you, in a moment where you feel incredibly defeated, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Let me say that again. Today is the first day of the rest of your life, meaning you do not have to leave here the same way that you came. You can start getting in agreement with the promises of God, with the word of God, and begin to think, see things change in your life and begin to shape things in your life. Listen, because what you see when you look in the mirror, those words are powerful, and words make you powerful. Our words, to some extent, determine the direction and the quality of our lives. Our words, I have watched people that have incredible talent and ability working inside of an organization that they were constantly Mr. Potty Mouth or Mrs. Potty Mouth. 
and they're wondering all the time, why am I not getting promoted? It's because you have a negative attitude. And I've watched these words set the direction and the quality of their lives. Listen, and more importantly, or at least as important, the quality of other people's lives. Do you realize, moms and dads, the quality of your life affects the quality of your kid's life? Do you realize that the quality of the people that you're sitting with, that you're in friendship with and relationship with, it determines the quality of their life? So if you're here today and you're thinking, man, this is just all about me and it's just, yeah, you're just, no, listen, I realize that as a pastor, the quality of my life at some level affects the quality of your life. So it's important that we're saying the right things over our lives. So we've been looking at the book of James, G- James, the brother of Jesus, and he, he said some things. He says that our mouths are unpredictable. In, in fact, our mouths are predictably unpredictable. They actually are. He tells us that our mouths are untamable. They cannot be domesticated. Our tongues need a bridle on them. They need a leash on them all the time. Our tongue is not anything that you can ever turn your back on. You've always got to recognize that this thing in my life, for the rest of my life, I've got to understand the principle that James has been teaching us. And here's what it is, and we've been talking about it throughout this series. Every one of us need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. In our relationships with one another, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. There are people in your life that can add value to your life if you'll actually hear them. I'm not talking about giving them the, the uh, uh, looking at them, nodding and thinking about other things. I'm talking about being quick to listen and slow to speak. So in the first few messages, we looked at that this letter from James, the brother of Jesus that he had written to the church. But today I want to shift gears and I want to look at another letter that was written by the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul steps into the pages of history as Saul of Tarsus. That's how he was first known. And he was a Pharisee. In fact, he says of himself that I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is a rule keeper on steroids. All right, He is a religious leader, and he was so disturbed by these new Jewish Christians that he set out to arrest and try Christians for what he believed was heresy against God. Now, before we pick up our rocks and throw things at Paul, you need to understand that literally everything that he had been taught, the way that he had been raised, something brand new is happening. Again, Jesus didn't come to offer up Judaism 2.0. He came to usher in something brand new and Paul just trying to get out of the way of himself and so he's persecuting Christians. He hated Christians. Listen, if you're here today or you're watching online and man, you hate Christians, Saul of Tarsus is your man. In fact, he is on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and he has a Damascus Road experience. He is blinded by a light, a light shone from heaven and for the first time in his life, he actually sees the light. He becomes a Jesus follower, and now, instead of destroying the church, he starts creating churches all around the Mediterranean Sea, all around the Mediterranean bases at these port cities. So he would go into these cities, he would plant a church, and then he would write them a letter. And many of those letters have been preserved since antiquity, and those letters combined have become part of the New Testament. So I'm going to read today just a part of one of those letters that he wrote. It's a first century document called the book of Ephesians, but it's really a letter written to the church in Ephesus. 
Are you all tracking with me so far? All right? Because in this letter, he talks to Christians about their mouths. So just so you know, I'm not the only one that brings this up all the time. All right? The Apostle Paul is talking to them about their mouths, and he's talking to them about how to use their words in positive ways. One last thing before I read this. This letter is written to Christians and for Christians. So as followers of Jesus Christ, it is not something that we just pray to prayer and then we're done. All right? You and I, if we're following after Jesus, you need to understand that Jesus is moving all the time. All right? So it's Christianity is not about praying a simple prayer and then go, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. All right? It's about following after Jesus. So we learn how to read the word of God and understand the, the way that we can actually apply the way of love by following the word of God. All right? However, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this wasn't written specifically for you, but you can try this at home for free. All right? Because you're going to discover today this really works in any environment. So in this passage, in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn over to your Bibles there, Paul is writing to Gentiles who become Christians, who are leaving their pagan world view. You need to understand that when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't bring the same pagan world view into Christianity and try to make it fit. Some things in you need to start changing. So they're trying to sort through this, how do I follow Jesus and move away from the way that I was raised? How do I follow Jesus and move away from this paradigm or this perspective I have about life? And here's what Paul is going to tell them in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you, he's talking to Christians again, must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So what Paul is telling them is that before they came to Christ as Gentiles, they had a world view that matched their culture. It, it's just the way it is. And it was a pagan worldview where they believed in multiple gods. They were polytheists. And that worldview was reflected by their behavior. All right? So check this out. Verse 18, they, talking about that group that they used to be just like, are darkened in their understanding, meaning they just don't get it. It's one of the reasons why we as followers of Christ should stop being mad at people who are not followers of Christ. They just don't get it. They don't understand what you and I understand. Verse 18 continuing, and separated from the life of God, and then he tells them why, and this is, sounds a little bit offensive, but, but hang on just a second. Watch this, because of the ignorance meaning they just don't know, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now again, it sounds like an insult, but it's not. What he's basically saying is, this is my observation. This is what I'm observing from what you used to be to what you are now. The people that you deal with in culture, they don't know any better. So again, we, we need to quit getting mad at them when they act like they do in their culture. Okay, Because they can't see what you see. You have been, as a child of God, you have been born again. You are now being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life that is changing the way you thought, the way you believed in the past. You're now changing. They can't see what you see because they don't see the world the way that you see the world. Now, let me explain why this is such a big deal. I'm going to get to the mouth here in just a second. 
But in Greek culture, again, they believed in many gods. And these many gods were basically all about themselves. In fact, they did all kinds of crazy things. That you guys know this from school when you studied Greek history and stuff. That they, they, they toyed with people. They slept with one another. They had baby gods who did all kinds of crazy things, but it was all about them. The gods were very self-centered. So polytheism was about being like the gods who were all about themselves. So the Gentile worldview was all about every man for himself. And by the way, it wasn't every woman for themselves because women didn't have much stroke in, the, in this culture. All right, so Paul is talking to ex-polytheists, all right, and he's telling them that the world you came from, that worldview is very different from the worldview of Christ. Listen, church, today, we need to recognize that still applies today. Our worldview needs to be different than the worldview of other people. But just because it's different than the worldview of other people does not mean we need to rant and rave on their worldview, They don't get what we get yet. They don't understand what we understand yet. They have not been renewed in their spirit, man. They have not been born again. So Paul is letting them know, your friends who still live in that world have a very different worldview than you do now. Verse 19, having again, talking about that group of people, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. In, in other words, it's an anything-goes world with, with morality, which, which is true in the pagan world because in the pagan world, there is no religious morality like there is in the church. So Paul is making an observation that that is why the people in your culture behave like they do because they have a different set of beliefs than you. Are y'all hearing this today? Here's my, here's my concern today for many people in the church. You're dragging your beliefs from the world into Christianity today and trying to make them work. And you're wondering why your marriage is challenged, why you're fearful all the time, why you're dealing with depression, anxiety, all kinds of things. It's because you're trying to live in one world while still operating in the system of another world. And when you begin to understand how perfectly God loves you, that he's for you, that he's got an amazing life for you, that he wants you to live the abundant life, what you start understanding is that way of thinking does not actually work. It's very self-focused, very self-centered, and it's empty, and it's it's not filled with life. But when you step into the, the new life that God has for you, things begin to change in your life. Suddenly life starts showing up in your life. You've got peace, you've got joy, you've got happiness. And so listen, today, if you're struggling with that, maybe you might need to take inventory of your belief system and try to find out how many things you're trying to keep stepping back over into the other world. So he goes on, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Again, it's a self-focused winner-take-all world. That, however, now, now he's, Paul is contrasting for you and I, is not the way of life you learned. Or maybe it's this way. It's not the way of life that you're learning. That's not the way of life that you were invited into. You may live in a self-focused world that is filled with impurity and greed, but that isn't how you should live. 
That's not the way of life you learned going on in verse 21. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And he tells us what we were taught in verse 22. And you were taught in regard to the former way of life, the way you used to live before you came to Christ, when you were a polytheist, worshiping all the other gods or or serving yourself, acting as crazy as all the gods, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Paul is writing to them, and he's writing to us, and he's telling us that we are no longer to operate like that. We are to put off our old self. We are to put off our former self the way that we used to think so that we are no longer going to be fooled by deceitful desires. That's what the enemy offers you is deceitful desires. Let me explain what that is. A deceitful desire is a desire that promises you one thing, but it doesn't deliver. It tells you something like this. Listen, you'd be a lot happier if you had a different job. So you quit your job and you go to your next job and you discover there's crazy people at your new job too. And you know what the deceitful desire tells you? Hey, next time. Let's change again next time. Or you're at a church and suddenly you get your feathers ruffled a little bit and the devil starts telling you, look, it's just the church. Get somewhere else. So you go to another church and guess what? There's crazy people at that church too. There's still some people working through some stuff in their life. You know what the deceitful desire tells you? Hey, next time, flip again, jump again, jump again. And what happens in a church is you don't get planted in the house of God. Your roots don't go down deep to where you find fertile soil way down deep and water way down deep so that when, not if, but when the storms of life come, man, you're able to stand your ground because you have been planted in the house of God. Or, or, or with your spouse, Man, you would be a lot happier if you just had married the right person. So let me leave this relationship. Let me go find somebody else. And you find that you bring some, if not some, all of the problems in your other marriage into this marriage. And you find that that woman or that man is just as crazy as the other man or other woman was. And then you start recognizing, hey, what's the common denominator here? Oh, yeah, it might be me. And what a deceitful desire is telling you all the time is, look, you would be better off. You would be better off. And when you get there, hey, maybe next time. Let's jump again. Let's move again. Let's change again. So Paul is saying those are deceitful desires. And as a Jesus follower, you have been called to put all of that off. You've been called to live differently. You've been called to think differently. In fact, here's what he says in verse 23. To be made new in the attitude of your mind. It means you start thinking differently. It means you start changing. And you put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now listen, most of us kind of freak out when we hear the word holiness because we feel so unholy. Listen, we have never ever been or nor will we ever be holy because of what we've done. We are simply wholly set apart because of what we made the decision to do and fall in love with Jesus and follow after him. So now you are holy today if you're a child of God. Pastor Rich, you don't know what I did last night. It doesn't matter. You're still holy because you've been called by God. You've been redeemed. But listen, here's the key. Holiness is not being judgmental and angry. 
Holiness means that we learn how to walk in the way of love that Jesus modeled for us. It means that we start loving people who are like you. We start loving people who are not like you. And we actually even love people who don't like you. But it happens as we learn to put off. Then Paul gives us some specific applications of of what he's teaching here about about our behavior. And one of them that he's going to talk about, and this is kind of where I wanted to get to today, is dealing with our mouth. And here's how he applies this big picture. You've taken off your former life, and now you're living a life that's more like Jesus would live. Because you understand that's what Christianity is, right? That's what Christianity is, right? I'm waiting on a couple of you to nod still because I've been praying for you this week. No, I'm just kidding. So here's, here's what he's going to say. Here's what he's going to say to us as followers of Jesus Christ. People that are putting off our former self. We're, we're not adopting that. Um, it's all about me, all about me mindset. Now, it creeps into our life, right? At least it creeps into my family's life. And my life, okay. It creeps into all of our lives. So here's what he says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So in other words, once you, once you began putting on this new way of thinking, some things need to change. Some things need to change. Listen, they sh- your words should not be unwholesome. Now, I, I know that kind of sounds like, uh, uh, actually, I don't even know what it sounds like. But the Greek word here... <laughs> I love it when I start on a train track and then the track just kind of stops on me like, okay, where are we going with that, Richie? I got nothing. All right. So here's what this word unwholesome means. Let me just let the word of God define it. That would work a lot better. The Greek word here is used to describe the smell of rotting fish and fruit, the smell of deteriorating sandals. Listen, I don't work in a food market, so I don't know a lot about the way food smells or fish smells, but I've been around some stinky feet. In fact, if you know me, I got feet issues. I don't want to touch your feet. I don't want you touching my feet. I don't like feet, and I especially don't like stinky feet. And I don't like being around people that have stinky feet. In fact, I had a cousin growing up, and when you would literally, his feet were so stinky, you would walk into the house, and you could almost taste it. You know what I'm talking about? It's like donkey on Shrek. Man, I had my mouth open and everything, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's stinky feet. Listen, it's words that are distasteful. So Paul is saying as a Jesus follower, don't let any distasteful words come out of your mouth. Distasteful for you. Y'all know sometimes when you say a distasteful word. Sometimes you don't know it, but you can tell from the look on the other person's face that you just said a distasteful word. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Do not let any distasteful word come out of your mouth. And notice that he says, do not let, meaning you're in charge. I can't help it. They just said that. So you don't, you, you are responsible. Something I keep saying through this series, you are responsible. You are able to always choose your response every time. He's saying that your mouth is the gate and you are the gatekeeper. I am to stand guard over my mouth. And when, not if, but when distasteful words rush the gate, I am to not let them out. But it's hard. 
Listen, and it's hard, and we may miss the mark, but we can't excuse missing the mark. A couple of weeks ago, I had gone to see Pastor Bob and hang out with my brother, who is a pastor also, and we spent some time, and we always pray over one another and just kind of connect with what, what's going on in the church and different things. And, and um, I woke up real early to drive home Saturday morning, about 4 o'clock in the morning, and, and some of you are like, wait, hey, what you sleeping in for? And others are like, 4 o'clock in the morning? You know, for me, that's still pretty early. And so I got up, and I started driving home, and, you know, it's about two and a half hours to get home from Oklahoma City. No, I'm just kidding. It's a little longer than that, but I like to go as fast as I can to get home, right? How many of you, when you're driving, you're just ready to get there? None of this messing around, right? Some of you, you don't get it. You're 10 miles under the speed limit. I'm praying for you all the time on the streets of Amarillo. Anyway, anyway, so, so I'm, I'm driving home, and you know, I'm just tired. In fact, as I'm pulling into town, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to get home, get in my own bed. I'm going to take a nap this morning when I get in. So I pull around to the, the back, and I open up the garage door, and as I pull in, my wife has parked her car, not to the right side like she's supposed to. It's kind of in the middle, catty-cornered. Like, man, has she been out drinking the way she parked last night? What is up? And, and so I'm, I'm thinking as I'm thinking about this, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm mad, all right? I'm frustrated. I'm tired. And how many of you know when you're tired, it's okay to be mad? No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. So I'm, I'm mad, and I'm like, what on earth is she thinking? Doesn't she know better? She knew I was coming home. She did this on purpose. I'm thinking all these things, and the words have rushed the gate. I'm not letting them out. I pull around the front, and as I pull around the front, that little probably 10-second drive, I begin to calm down a little bit. And going, Still, I'm frustrated. I'm like, man, she should not have done that. Oh, man, I'm so frustrated, but you know what? It's going to be okay. But by the time I got in, now I'm not mad like that, but I'm kind of sarcastic. So I see her, and my comment to her is, hey, great job parking. <laughs> now, how many of you know that the words that I was initially going to say and let out would have been totally devastating? But how many of you know I could have still done a lot better? In fact, I had to go to her and apologize and say, babe, I'm sorry that I said that. I did not guard my mouth. Because when I think about it now, it's really not a big deal. In fact, you're thinking, Richie, what on earth? What's the big deal? It's not a big deal when you're talking about it or you're thinking about it later. When it's a big deal is when you're in the moment. And the words have rushed the gate and you're trying to figure out, do I let them out? Is this a great teaching moment? Right? And honestly, it would have probably been okay if I'd have said, you know, sweetheart, hey, as much as you possibly can, can we kind of park over a little bit more? You go, oh, Richie, that's just wimping out. It's not. I could have communicated the same thing in a way that was building her up and encouraging her. In fact, look at it, it goes on. See, so in order to, dis to avoid stinky and distasteful words, you got to put a guard over your mouth. So Paul tells us what not, what not to do first to resist the words, but he's going to give us some words to do. Like I was just saying, I could have said something positive. Watch this. Verse 9, 29, continuing on. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now, when we hear this, because I know some of you live in the real world, and as a pastor, I don't, right? I, the, the glory of the Lord goes around me all the time. And if somebody's about ready to yell at me, the Lord just knocks them over. If somebody's about ready to say something ugly to me and send an email, it gets lost in cyberspace. But for those of you that live in the real world, you're thinking, can you really do this in the real world? I mean, it just sounds so nice and so Christian. 
And, and honestly, what we're kind of thinking is it sounds kind of wimpy, right? Honestly, and, and a little unproductive. I mean, honestly, can, can you raise kids that way? Hey, sweetheart, don't throw rocks at your brother. Okay, don't throw them quite so hard. Okay, don't hit him in the face, right? There's got to be a sense of urgency at some place, right? Or how about if you're doing a performance review and the person that you've hired full-time shows up about 25 hours a week, right? And, and you're like, hey, look, if all possible, that, that, that project that you've had that's about two months late, do you think we could possibly get it in this week? Listen, <laughs> yes, it is. Before you write this off, let me point out that Paul's apostle, the Apostle Paul's point is not be nice. All right? Now, he's going to cover that in just a second because he does want us to be nice, but that's not his point. His point is that we are to be helpful. And, and honestly, sometimes the most helpful thing that you can say or do is to say hard things. Richie, this is a, this is a church. Yes, sometimes the most helpful thing that you can do is that you can say some hard things. And listen, so while some of you need to dial it down a bit with the words that you're saying, some of you need to step up and say what needs to be said. Because what I'm guessing is I've gone through this series, there are some of you that are going, man, this series has just not been for me. Me and my husband, we never fight. We never, ever, ever, we don't actually talk about anything, but we never fight because... Almost every subject we ever bring up is off limits, so we never fight. So next he gives us this construction phrase so we can actually know if we're being helpful. Look at the words for building others up. See, you, you need to start seeing all of your interactions with other people like a construction zone. You're going into a construction zone every time you're going to win, and your words are the tool that you're using. Okay, so because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be using your words to build others up, not tear others down. When you leave the conversation, when you leave the construction site, people need to have said, man, it was awesome that I was with them. Man, I'm so thankful. They said some things I needed to say, or they, they said some things that really lifted me up and encouraged me. And when you get this right, Look at what he says again in verse 29, building others up according to their needs. Listen, this challenges all of us because most of the time we're talking about what we want to talk about so that we can get our needs met. But the Apostle Paul is saying that's not what followers of Jesus Christ do. That is not the way of love that Jesus modeled for us. In fact, John 3, 16, a verse that probably everybody knows, whether you're in church or out of church, we know, for God so loved the world that he gave. And we need to be figuring out all the time and looking for opportunities that we can give words that are building others up. Give them what they need. And sometimes, you, listen, you gotta adjust that. You gotta be in the moment. You can't just have some scripted thing that you say or some five points that I've learned. You gotta be in the moment and you gotta know what to say. That's why we need the Holy Spirit speaking to us all the time so we can know when to say, hey, come on, buddy, you need to step it up. Or, hey, buddy, you're awesome. You got this thing. And here's why we give them what they need, that it might benefit those who listen. He's saying, listen, Richie, it's not for your benefit. It's for theirs. 
And then it goes on and it, and it kind of begins to sound all spiritual on us. But really it's in, something incredibly practical because he says this in verse 30. And, and he's talking about with your words, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He's simply saying don't say something to, to someone that's going against what God is trying to do in their life. In other words, you and I know that God is absolutely for us. Right? He is for us, not against us. He says that you're the head and not the tail, that you're blessed going in the city, that you're more than a conqueror. So listen, he's constantly trying to build you up. We do not need to use our words to tear others down. So I want to close off today, and this is basically where I'm going to pick, off, pick up next week with the root issue of why we struggle with this. Because in verse 31, it seems like Paul is kind of changing the subject, but he's just helping us understand the root cause of why we struggle with this. Why is it that we allow things to escalate? Why is it that we allow things to get out of control? And we could tell they're getting out of control, but we just kind of keep dumping gas on the fire. Why is it that we, we, we say things and, and we, then we wonder why, did I just say that? Paul tells us that if you're going to get this right, If you're going to be a builder instead of a demolisher, you're going to have to, verse 31 says this, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness. And listen, it can feel like, now wait a minute, weren't we talking about words? Paul is telling us it's all about your words. The reason why you struggle with tearing people down when you know that you want to build them up is because you're dealing with the root of bitterness. You've allowed some unforgiveness to come into your heart, to take root in your life, and it's spilling out in the words that you're saying. And instead of building others up, you're tearing them down. I think this forgiveness, this issue of forgiveness is one of those things that we kind of understand forgiveness when we can think of something huge, something huge that someone has done against us. Maybe we can remember a a, a physical abuse, an emotional abuse, or something that was just this horribly big thing that was done to us, and we've stepped away, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we say, I made a decision, I'm going to forgive that person, and now we're walking in some freedom. And I think that's a huge deal, and if you're still struggling with that, you need to forgive them. But I think the bigger issue comes from the little issues of life, the little offenses that we pick up. The little foxes that spoil the vine. Someone looks at us wrong. They said a curt word. We weren't included in something. And before you know it, we got this feeling towards someone. For too long in the church, we have taught this. You have to love people, but you don't have to like them. I think it's totally wrong. I think when you get filled with the love of God, you're going to like everybody. Don't, don't shout me down today, but I'm telling you, you're going to like everybody. You, you may not like everything that they do, but when you see them, you don't have this, oh, feeling, and you try to avoid them. I, I think of all the people that, I, that I've talked to through the years, and they come to me and they say, man, this person did this. And I say, man, you got to forgive them. And they're like, okay, I'll do it. And I see them later, and now they're making some crazy decision, and I'm like, hey, are, are you good with that person? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good with them. So, so you guys are communicating, to, oh, no, can't stand being around them, but I've forgiven them. And, and what it is, it's a tale in our hearts that we are not walking in total forgiveness all the time. This week, as I was preparing this message, I was, I was just thinking about some issues in my own life. And I was thinking about some people that I had this 
unhealthy level of frustration with. God just began to speak to my heart and said, man, you've got some unforgiveness. Some of them did some things. Other people, they don't even know what they did. And when I began to just say, God, I just choose to forgive everybody. Lord, I choose to walk in forgiveness. I choose to not allow any bitter root whatsoever come into my life. I'm telling you, it just lifted off of me. I was like, oh, there's that joy that I've been missing over the last week or so. Because here's the deal. In fact, let me read it. The antidote for bitterness is forgiveness. Listen, here's my closing question for you. Who in your life do you need to forgive? The moment I said that, you're thinking of somebody. Or maybe you're just kind of thinking about this oh, feeling you have towards a family member, coworker, or someone in the church. Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it today that you're going to allow out of jail, them out of jail, but also allow yourself out of jail? Because when you forgive others, you realize that forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and then realizing the prisoner was you. Changes everything.